skin infections are very frustrating. Ear infections are very frustrating, but there's a reason that they're there. And if we don't get the reason, you know, figured out or get them on the right treatment protocol, then those can end up being the worst part that we deal with. Hello, podcast people. Man, I, th- I feel like I need a name for all of you. If you guys listen to maybe Call Her Daddy or Girls Gotta Eat, there's a f- they have a name for their listeners, like the Snackheads or the Daddy Gang. I feel like I need I need a name. I don't I don't know. Guys, come up with a name for yourself <laughs> and message me because I think anything I think of is like a it just sounds awkward with the dog wad wad gang no that's no one wants that (laughs) all right uh so this is the with a dog podcast a podcast for the modern dog parent i'm your host carly and i interview veterinarians trainers products and some really awesome fellow pet parents about how you can get the most out of life with a dog that intro actually felt really weird doing that because this is my first episode without a co-host. So if you're new here and you hadn't heard my co-host for the past year, her name is Izzy. She was a fellow dog mom just like me, worked in the animal industry just like me as well. But she recently had an opportunity at work. So she's kind of taking a step back from the podcast. She'll still be joining us once a month though for an episode we're calling The Monthly Scoop, which is just like a life catch up, dog update plus a recap on everything that's happened in that month between what's happening in the world, but also what's happening in the dog world. So new um, veterinary procedures, new drugs that are out, new ways of training, new products, things like that. We cover it all in the monthly scoop. So we will be doing that. We did that last episode and we'll be doing that again in a few episodes. So once a month that comes out, but for now it is just me. And it was a bit daunting. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It was it was odd interviewing without Izzy next to me. So, you know, this is probably going to be a transition that I'm going to be going through for the next few weeks. So give me some grace trying to learn how to interview alone and be the sole, sole focus of the guest and the guest being my sole focus as well. Usually I've got like Izzy here and Arthur, her dog is on the couch and it's a bit more hectic and I can like stop and drink some water and things like that during the interview because I know I have a partner to cover me. But as you can kind of hear in this interview, I feel like I just pelted our guest with questions. (laughs) So um, I'm still getting comfortable with my interview style. So moving on to the topic of this episode. It's allergies and taking care of your dog's skin. So this topic will be a two-week series. This one is the informational science slash veterinary perspective. And then next week, I'll be speaking with Kelsey, the dog mom behind the Instagram little PNW pups, about her recent and pretty taxing experience with her dog's allergies. However, for this episode, so this week, I was lucky enough to interview Dr. Ashley Bourgeois. She is a board-certified dermatologist, also known as The Derm Vet, on Instagram and her own podcast, The Derm Vet Podcast. 
I've followed Dr. Ashley for a while now. I was so excited to have her on. She's actually only a few hours away from me. I'm in Seattle. She's in Portland. So hopefully one day we will meet when the world opens up again. But for now, it was just so nice to pick her brain about all things allergies. As I mentioned a couple times in this episode, Lubin has a ton of allergies that I've had to work through over the years. And it was really nice to have someone break down the different routes that allergies can take and the different routes of treatments that you can go through as well, or that your dog can go through as well. Because I really feel like I never had that resource when I was going through everything with Lupin. It was all, um, and I referenced this in the episode, it was all very, what's the word I'm looking for? Allegorical. There we go. It was all very allegorical of just people on blog posts and this will help you and me going into a local pet store and them, you know, saying whatever they think will help. And and so I really hope that this episode is useful to you, even if your dog doesn't have allergies, because in this episode, we talk, the first half is about just vet dermatology. So if you haven't heard of a veterinary dermatologist before, we go into a little bit of that. And then also we talk about allergies concerning like how they can present, what the treatment options are, what could be the cause of them. And you really discuss how it is a honestly like a lifelong skin disease, but it's not something necessarily that you should fear because there are treatments for it. And so I really, I don't know, I felt very optimistic coming out of, out of, this episode with Ashley, she was able to describe everything, I think, in a really, really digestible way. And then the second half of the episode, so if your dog doesn't struggle with allergies, the second half of the episode is more about just like random dog skincare questions. Like, should I be putting sunscreen on them? Or can dogs get sunburned? What about those little black spots Sometimes you can see, you know, their skin can change color over time. Is that normal? You know, just all these random questions like how often should you bathe them? How often should you brush them? I hope that this was is going to be really helpful for everyone, no matter what your dog is dealing with. A bit more about our guest. Dr. Ashley is a board certified veterinary dermatologist She's passionate about providing practical knowledge to general practitioners to help itchy pets. She has a strong interest in autoimmune skin diseases, allergies, cytology, and autology. In her leisure, Dr. Bourgeois enjoys outdoor activities, traveling, and watching sports. She and her husband stay busy with their two kids and a rescue boxer slash lab pit mix. Dr. Ashley is passionate about educating veterinarians in dermatology and work slash life integration through her podcast, lecturing, and social media presence. As I said, you can find her at the Derm Vet on Instagram and her podcast is the Derm Vet Podcast. It is geared towards vets more, but I've still listened to a few of her episodes and I was able to still extract some really good information just from the general dog mom's knowledge. So go ahead and take a look at that. But I hope you enjoy the episode and let's get into it. Thank you so much for coming on, Ashley. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited because 
I and I'm going to talk about this in a future episode. But my dog Lupin, I mean, man, does he have skin issues? So <laughs> the fact that and I, I've become such a nerd, re- listening to your podcast, watching your Instagram, all the different skin things that can happen with dogs and cats that you post. So I'm just really, really excited to learn a bit more about our dog's skin today. Um, so you are a board certified veterinary dermatologist. Yes. Okay. So what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So essentially, uh, when you graduate vet school, so you go to undergrad, you get your degree, you, you go to vet school for four years after undergrad, and you get your veterinary degree, and then you can go into general practice and do a, a lots of amazing things with your veterinary degree. To specialize further, you um, most people end up doing a one-year rotating internship where you can go to um, certain facilities, whether universities or private practices, and they'll have internship programs where you rotate as a doctor, but you rotate through lots of things. So surgery, medicine, emergency, things like that. Um, so that's one year. And I did that mine at uh, Purdue University. And then you go, if you want to specialize, most residency programs are three years after that internship. So after I did, I graduated vet school, I did my one year internship, then I did a three year residency program where I was just focusing on dermatology. And then within that three year residency program, you see cases, but then you learn the in-depth science behind, you know, skin disease and treatment options. And then through that process, you have to get meet certain qualifications and credentials. And then at the end of the three years, you get to hopefully prove all your knowledge <laughs> by passing a board exam. And it is one of the hardest, probably the hardest test I've ever taken because you're proving that you are an expert in the field. So it's a two-day exam that you have to pass in order to get your credentials as a board-certified veterinary dermatologist. And so... I was lucky and fortunate enough to pass that and then have been practicing ever since. That's so great because I think I think a lot of other dog parents listening right now are maybe in the same situation as me where maybe they've heard of a specialist veterinarian, you know, whether it's oncology or specific type of surgeon or something like that. But I've really learned so much since starting this podcast about how many specialties there actually are in veterinary medicine and how much us as the the general population dog parents don't know. Because, you know, like we in our minds, what I think, you know, growing up, you just take your dog to the vet and then you expect that vet to know absolutely everything. And <laughs> and then that's it. And and so it's really interesting because it's I love how it's it seems like right now in the veterinary field it's getting more normalized to go to a specialty vet for a specific condition, you know, just like you would in the human world. Like, oh, you have a skin issue, you go to a dermatologist. And so do you feel like that is how it's shifting at all in the vet world as well? Yeah, for sure. I I think as we as a industry in medicine in general, even on the human side, as we've become advanced, you're absolutely seeing that like you're seeing lots of, you know, specialties that have been around for a while, but more and more people are getting into specialties, you know, uh, more pet owners are knowing about specialties. I mean, a lot of the like when I first did dermatologists, I, I still hear all the time that people didn't even know that that existed like a mm-hmm. veterinary dermatologist. So I think as it becomes more normalized as 
you know, our pets have really, truly, I even more so than ever become members of the family, um, you know, being with us in indoors with our kids or with our families or they are our kids. Um, people are definitely willing to advance their care with them. I also think there's just been really amazing advancements in veterinary medicine. There's new therapies, there's new procedures, there's new, um, you know, things that we can do to better the quality of life. Um, and we're, I think we're going to see even more specialties and subspecialties continue to happen as it becomes more of a, a standard of care. And it's really great. I love working with general practitioners, general practitioners, it is a lot to know everything. Mm -hmm. Um, That was actually really intimidating to me coming out of vet school. um, You know, I fell in love with dermatology in vet school. So I felt like I really wanted to get really good at one thing. Like I wanted to do exactly what um, I was passionate about and what I felt like I would enjoy doing day in and day out. When I did my internship and had to do things like emergencies and surge, you know, seizures and and fractures, if you think about a general practitioner and how much they have to know, mm-hmm. you know, between vaccine protocols and seizures and pediatric medicine and adult medicine and surgery, like that is a lot. Like I have so much respect for general practitioners. So I actually think their job can be harder because they do have to do it all. So the ability to be able to refer when a case is something that you know, d- needs to see a specialist, I think is really wonderful because we really can't expect um, somebody to know everything. And so yeah. it's great to see our field progress. Yeah. I love what you said about how there's been advancements in just the animal world as far as the science, the health, everything. It really shows that we are, as a society, hopefully putting our pets at the forefront of their care, you know, making it a priority. I think that's so great. Well, just for all the listeners, as well as myself, what exactly does a veterinarian dermatologist do? <laughs> like, what does your day look like? I guess like what what cases do you see all that? Yeah, so it's predominantly allergies and infections. So as a dermatologist, if you think about taking a dermatologist in human medicine, combining it with an allergist, um, and also combining it with the ear portion of an ENT doctor. That's essentially what a veterinary dermatologist is. So it's a lot of managing allergies by far. That's the predominant amount of what I deal with. Um, And with allergies, whereas people, we tend to see our allergies manifest more as respiratory signs, itchy eyes, sneezing. You can see that in pets, but they, they tend to show us more their allergies through their skin. Um, so they'll get ear infections, skin infections. Um, and remember the ears are just tubes of skin going into your head. So it's kind of all <laughs> interrelated. Um, and then we'll also deal a lot with um, treating the allergies, allergy testing, sometimes dietary trials for food allergies. But then we also get the more unique cases. So autoimmune cases, um, strain infect- strange infectious cases like mycobacteria. So even as a specialty, we're still not as specialized, say, as like a human dermatologist would be. We're still covering, you know, a few different subspecialties uh, of what a human uh, dermatologist would see, because Mm -hmm. usually humans, they're going to separate like I only am an allergist. You know, I only deal with more um, strange skin disease like eczema or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, most dermatologists aren't doing ear disease. So we're specialized, yeah. but we're still not quite to the degree that human medicine is with that. Okay. 
All right. So it sounds like because you cover so many topics or so many different types of cases, as you just said, what are for the average mm-hmm. household dog? What are like the top things that you see the top? You know, it's just rotating door constantly coming into the clinic. Yeah, it would definitely be allergies. So for a dog, we would see predominantly a lot of itchiness and itchiness can manifest in lots of different ways. So um, I don't like to ask if pets are itchy because we just think of like scratching, Mm -hmm. but itchiness can be they're licking their paws more than the average dog. Itchiness can be shaking their head, scratching at their ears. It can be chewing. uh, It can be scooting in some cases. So predominantly, we're dealing with itchy pets that get secondary infections. And most of those are due to some form of an allergy. Okay. All right. So it's allergies is is basically the top and then it presents in different ways yes. in different dogs. Okay. So let's talk about allergies. <laughs> so I mean, as I said earlier, Lupin, God bless him. He has put me through the ringer with his allergies and... I've come to realize or I've come to the understanding that it is there's kind of the two sections, environmental allergies and food allergies. And correct me if I'm wrong, you know, food is obviously anything that they eat, but then also environmental is not just the grass, the pollen, all of that, but also maybe like laundry detergent. And would that also be considered in the environmental category or... So something like laundry detergent, that's going to be more um, suggestive of something called contact dermatitis, um, which you can still get pets who will be sensitive to all of those things. But you are right that it's more than just pollen. So when we talk about environmental allergies, it's going to be things you think about in the environment. So grasses, trees, weeds. But when I allergy test a dog, we test for other things like dander. So, for example, we test dogs for human dander and see if they are allergic to human. Um, You know, we'll check for things like cotton. We'll check for things like dust mites and storage Mm -hmm. mites. And dust mites are actually one of the most common things that we see dogs allergic to. And those are everywhere. You could clean your house every single day. Those are microscopic things that you will not see that are just in our environment. So, sometimes people think, well, if my dog has environmental allergies it should be worse in the spring. And that's true Mm -hmm. for a lot of dogs, but we'll see several dogs that have year round symptoms or they'll start out seasonal, but then they'll become year round. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's because they are allergic to things that are prevalent in the environment year round, like dust mites. Again, those are always present no matter how much you clean your house. So gosh, okay. This is, I feel like there's going to be so many other people listening right now to be like, what are we SOL then? You know, it's just like they're everywhere. We can't clean. I I love how you said that the dogs may be allergic to people. I mean, that would be Lupin. He would be allergic (laughs) to me. He would be. Um, Okay. So, so we have all of those environmental ones that you just said. Does it present differently at all usually than like food allergies or? So that's a really tough thing is these allergies can look identical especially if they're year round. So if you have a dog who clearly only has problems during certain seasons, then we can feel, we can feel pretty confident that that's going to be environmental allergies. 
But it's really tough when you get dogs that have year-round symptoms because food allergy can look exactly like environmental allergies. They can they can both chew their paws, lick their paws, get in skin infections, get ear infections. They can look identical. Um, and the complicated thing is dogs can have both. So, you know, you could do a food trial and maybe get to the end of it and we are better, but maybe not completely resolved. And so that's where it gets really difficult and why an allergic workup is so important, but it can be really frustrating is because you really have to go through those rule outs to know what your pet's allergic to. Um, and, you know, food allergy is extremely tough because there you have to do dietary trials with either prescription-based mm-hmm. diets or home-cooked diets for a period of, you know, I do eight weeks and that's the only way to definitively know if they're food allergic. And you have to be very careful about what diets you pick. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, at this point, there's really not a reliable food allergy test. They're out there, but they just haven't really been validated through literature to be accurate. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of time and money and effort to rule out a food allergy. But at the same token, if you don't, figure that out, then your pet could still be, you know, struggling with infections and itchiness that doesn't have to happen simply by changing their diet. So it's a ton. It's a ton to go through. And that's exactly why our specialty is here because it is overwhelming to deal with. And I say that as a owner of an allergic dog myself, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what I do. And she still (laughs) frustrates me when she gets itchy. It can be so frustrating. And I'm actually our next episode is going to be me speaking with another fellow dog mom commiserating over that fact about the frustrations and kind of the emotional and financial side of dealing with all of these kind of things. So it sounds like it can take quite a long time to actually figure out the causes of some of these allergies, especially if there's environmental and food allergies at play. And as you said, there's like the whole eight week trial period of each ingredient or whatnot. So is it usually like a pretty long process to sort this out? It really depends on their history, because if they come in and they're clearly seasonal, then every dermatologist is different. But if they're clearly seasonal, then I won't necessarily put them through a diet trial. It really comes down to if they're presenting already have done a diet trial, if they what their symptoms are. So history and dermatology is extremely important. So we spend a lot of time going through the previous records. We spend a lot of time talking to the owner, um, having them fill out a form ahead of time. Because, you know, I want to get to the root of the problem for the owner the quickest possible, but I also want to do it right because Mm -hmm. allergies are lifelong. So if we're going to set up that pet to be on certain medications or go through certain procedures, we want to feel really confident that we're doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to owners about working up allergies, I like to break our thought process into a short-term plan and a long-term plan. So short-term plan for me is what do we need to need to do to make your comfortable your pet comfortable now? Because, okay. you know, at, if it takes say 8 weeks to look at it, to figure out if a diet trial helps us or not, and then we can talk a little bit about allergy testing, but that's not something we see immediate results to either, then we need to give these pets good quality of life, you know, while we're figuring out their allergies since mm-hmm. it does take some time. 
So we'll use things. Uh, we have to treat infections because that can happen secondary to allergies and that can cause them to be uncomfortable. Okay. But then we also have to put them on some form of symptomatic care. And that varies depending on the pet, you know, to certain medications like Cytopoint or Apoquil or Etopica. You're basically trying to control them and make them feel good and keep them comfortable while you're doing the background work to figure out their allergies. So short-term plan, you know, make them feel good, treat their infections, give them a good quality of life so they don't keep causing these more immediate problems. But then we do want to think about the long-term. What can we do if we can to try to minimize how many medications are on or how many vet visits that happen? And I will say, if you work closely with someone, your veterinarian regarding allergies, it absolutely can be expensive. There's no doubt about it. It's a chronic lifelong disease with lots of different layers to it. But well-managed allergy patients, you know, that are on appropriate medications and recheck when they're supposed to actually end up usually spend, owners spend less in the life of that pet because we don't get to the point of really gnarly infections or, you know, surgeries to take out ear canals in really extreme situations. Mm -hmm. So that's where if we have something, say like environmental allergies, that's where we dive into things like, okay, if we know there's environmental allergies present, then we can allergy test the pet and see what they're allergic to in the environment. But just like you said before, because they can't avoid these things, we are not SOL. We have <laughs> options. Okay. Find out what they're allergic to if we allergy test. But because we can't say, oh, you're allergic to say ragweed and dust mites and pine tree and, you know, June grass, um, you can put artificial turf out on the lawn. You can clean your house every day. Like these pollens are all over the place. They are flying in when you open the door. They're coming in with your shoe. Like they're just everywhere. Mm -hmm. So what we do with that information, if we allergy test, is we actually put them on allergen-specific immunotherapy which is just like people going on allergy shots. The idea is if we can identify what a pet's allergic to and formulate a serum for them, which there's a few different ways that can be administered at home, our hope is if we give them small amounts of what they're allergic to in a, in a controlled fashion, that eventually their body will become desensitized. So it'll kind of just get used to these things. Like I see this, you know, every two weeks when you give me my allergy shot. So I'm not going to cause huge issues when it's springtime and these things are in the environment. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful thing about that is it's very, it's all natural. It's just the proteins. Um, dogs don't tend to get uh, allergic reactions very commonly compared to people. So it's well tolerated. The only therapy we know potentially can reverse allergies to some degree. It depends on the pet. Um, but the caveat is it can take up to 12 months to see how well they do on that therapy. And even if they do do well, they tend to stay on it lifelong. Dogs in general don't tend to go into remission like people can. It can happen, but it's, it's pretty rare, like less than 10%. So that all that communication is so important for owners to know. And sometimes they come to see me and they're like, I just want an allergy test. But then we have to take a step back and say, but is that going to help your pet right now? Like I'm, I'm absolutely on board to allergy test, but we need to make your pet feel good right now, not wait to see if this helps in a year or not. Mm -hmm. So that's where it gets extremely complicated and working closely with your veterinarian can be very helpful. It's so nice to get this information. Because I remember when I was going through a lot of the initial 
trials and tribulations of Lubin's allergies. And this was um, six years ago. So I think it was a little bit more in the height of like no grains, food and all that, you know. So me as a 23 year old dog mom was like, of course, no grains. That's that's the answer. I will put him on this food with no grains. And then that didn't work. And he also has a ridiculously sense of stomach. So, you know, the switching foods, all of that. And then someone's like, well, maybe it's environmental, you know, and so we we went down that road slightly. And but I think it can be quite daunting, as you said, it's a lifelong issue. And I think that sometimes that is as humans or as dog parents, we, we look for the quick fix a little bit. And I and I can say that for sure. That's what I did was, you know, just like, oh, it must be a food allergy because that was also at the time of like the whole gluten free thing in the human world. And, and you were hearing all of these, all of these stories and blog posts of people saying like, you know, raw food cured my dog and all, the, you know, and we don't need to get into the discussion of food or anything. But it just, I'm happy that you made that point of that. Here are the steps, let's make them comfortable initially, figure out what exactly they are allergic to. And then here's what the treatment is going to look like. And it is going to be a long process or potentially a lifelong process. And because that has also been my experience with my dog, it is something that needs to be invested in and and taken care of. So on that note, I know that all of your clients that you see all of your patients have some kind of skin issue that needs to be dealt with or has allergies. On the whole, like, do you know if there's a statistic of some kind of like how many dogs out there what percentage have allergies to something? Yeah, I've seen various things, but it's, I mean, it can be a, a pretty decent percentage. Um, I think the hard thing when people try to pull out percentages like that is I think there's, you know, it's easy to look at like a dermatology population and obviously ours would be like, what, like 90%, like mm-hmm. that's what we deal with. Um, but it kind of depends on people who are going to the veterinarian and reporting that if they're appropriately worked up, like they can look more like at statuses of pets going in for things like itch. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be hard to know exactly like what percentage of that is, you know, I've seen anywhere from like 10 to 30% reported, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you think about the whole scheme of a population and that's just like people like dogs going to the veterinarian, mm-hmm. it's very common Yeah, and that's where it's really difficult. Um, because people, there are lots of misinformation out there, you know, for, so for example, like I don't mind talking about diet at all. Um, you know, grain free, extremely rare for a pet to be allergic to grain. Um, and now there's some issues and concerns about some cardiac disease that may have been coming from some grain free diets in the past. Um, so usually pets are allergic to more things like proteins. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, not always, but for the most part. And the hard thing is, um, you know, even changing like what protein you're feeding a pet with an over the counter diet is not a true diet trial. You know, a true diet trial is either doing a very strict home cooked diet or prescription based diet because they do the appropriate like cleaning protocols and they test the vats to make sure there's no cross contamination of other proteins in that food. And that doesn't make over-the-counter diets bad at all. What I tell owners is very similar to a child having a peanut allergy and looking for the, you know, on the label. If it might not say peanuts, but it could say this is made in a facility that also contains peanut, you know, producing products. And that's really the only big difference between these prescription-based diets is, 
you're just assuring that the extra, and that's why they're more expensive is they invest the time and effort into assuring there's nothing else in that food. And just for the trial portion, that's really, really important. So it is really tough because, you know, between food and then, you know, diving into talking about a lot of these allergic dogs are also flea allergic and we usually don't see fleas because Mm -hmm. they're not prevalent in the environment, but these dogs are just really sensitive. Um, My biggest fear as a dermatologist is dealing with the resistant bacterial infections that these pets get when their allergies are not managed appropriately. So for me, it's really about educating from reliable sources that we're doing the best things for these pets because I get really, really scary infections that come through the door because we've been really afraid to manage the allergies the right way. So that's where I think thinking about allergies and layers is really important. Skin infections are very frustrating. Ear infections are very frustrating, but there's a reason that they're there. And if we don't get the reason, you know, figured out or get them on the right treatment protocol, then those can end up being the worst part that we deal with. And we're going to take a little break right now to talk about our sponsors. Psych! Guys, we have no sponsors. I have no sponsors. I I need a sponsor, though. (laughs) I just wanted to take a break and tell everyone, if you're listening, if you're enjoying it so far, please, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go tap five stars, give us a rating, drop a review if you have the time. That would be amazing. We've gotten some great reviews lately. Uh, Macchiato the puppy said great topics for dog lovers and high quality love that they engage with their listeners too. another one said dog mom approved I really enjoy listening and learning things about how to enjoy my life with the dog thanks for the possum addition to my weekly podcast queue so even just something like that a sentence or two you can add one word just great exclamation point drop the review whatever you're able to do it means the world to me If you're not on Apple Podcasts, totally understand. Just hit follow on Spotify. That does really help. It's all about the algorithm and the charts and whatnot. And in addition to that, my love language is verbal praise. So giving a review or rating is like verbal praise for me. And I need it because I love you guys. And I need to hear the love from you too. Thank you for everyone who has already taken the time to do that. Just remember, subscribe five stars, review, follow, whatever you're able to do. It means the world to me. And let's get back into it with Dr. Ashley. So I think moving away from the allergy topic now, we have some, I guess, more like quick fire, just general skin questions for a dermatologist. So I pulled these from our listeners. And it really is a range. So you don't have to worry about answering too quick, but it's just more of like general skin questions. So first one, you see black, some dogs develop black spots on like their tongue or their flank or different parts of their body. And they're like the big black spots, not little like tiny pinpointed ones. What are those? And should people be worried? Well, it kind of depends. Because you can have things that happen, say, later in life, like certain um, plaques or certain pigmented nodules that would be more of a concern. 
Um, there are certainly dogs who just kind of as they age and there's pigmentary changes to their skin, kind of like as people age, they can get, you know, skin spots. You can get changes naturally to your skin too. So pets can be born and just kind of develop different patterns of, of um, pigmentation to their skin. There's lots of pigmentary cells called melanocytes that can be affected by that. But if there's areas of concern that are not just, you know, young dog kind of developing different pigmentary changes, definitely always having a vet look at it. Because I have had people show me areas that they think are normal, but it'll actually be something, you know, like a nodule that's just more flattened um, or a sign of a more serious problem. So it, it varies. Um, and if it's changing or, you know, you're seeing your primary vet anyway, to have them do their annual exam, always pointing out something, even if it looks pretty benign, is a good idea. Okay. So when in doubt, if you see a change in your dog like that, ask that. Okay. Next one, baths. Should mm-hmm. you be bathing your dog regularly? Let's under the assumption that your dog does, this dog does not have any skin issues that are known. Should they be bathing them regularly? If so, in what way, like with what products, those kind mm-hmm. of questions. Yeah. So obviously I deal with abnormal skin and I, if you have good quality products that have, you know, that are made by reputable veterinarian companies that are appropriately balanced with their pH um, and don't have harmful things in them. Um, there's, there's not too many dogs you can overbathe. I know that's going to probably sound controversial uh, because sometimes people feel like with certain breeds and there may be some breeds rarely that that's true for, but in general, um, you know, you, if you use good products that have ceramides and other moisturizing things like oatmeal can be soothing, things like that. <laughs> um, there's not too many dogs you can truly overbathe unless you're using products that have like benzoyl peroxide or, you know, other things that we'd expect to be drying. Um, for a typical dog, I mean, my allergic dog, like my allergy dog, I know you're not asking about abnormal skin, but she gets bathed once or twice a week. And it dramatically helps because it removes pollens from her skin. Um, it has products that restore her epidermis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my previous dog didn't have bad allergies. And honestly, we bathe her maybe once a month, yeah. um, if that. So it really kind of depends on the individual pet, what's their environment. Like if they're a pet who's running around outside and picking up all sorts of, uh, you know, particles on their skin, they might need to be bathed more often than a cat, a pet that's a bit more of a couch potato and doesn't have an underlying disease. Mm-hmm. So I don't think every pet definitely needs to be bathed, every, you know, one to two times a week, like my allergy patients do. Um, but you just want to make sure any topicals you're putting on your pet, um, that you're kind of just touching base with your vet over what they are, because there are lots of things out there. Um, that are not well managed. Um, And the pH of dog skin is different than human skin. Like you just want to be cautious of what you're putting on. So I always think just making sure even if it's just for a general shampoo, like an oatmeal shampoo, you know, just kind of getting your vet's two cents can be very helpful. Okay. Is there a, like a certification or anything that someone should look for on the bottle? Because I know Not like when you buy dental really. things. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's right. the hard part is there's lots of stuff out there. Yes. Lots of stuff out there. And lots of brands can put out things. And, and it's super unfortunate that it's not more well-regulated in pets. Um, but at least at this point, it's not that well regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so even like general shampoos, there's certain companies that are very reputable and are veterinary brand companies that focus on that, that I trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely like, even if my dog wasn't allergic, 
I would be sticking to like veterinary brand shampoos personally, because I know that they do do the research, even though it's not mandated. Okay. And then going along those lines of products that you put on your dog's skin. I think sometimes we can be a little bit, we can sometimes human our dog humanize our dogs and be like, well, you know, for me, I'm putting hyaluronic acid on in the morning and lotion and things like that. Do people need to put additional products like that on their dogs? A general dog that does not have skin disease? Probably not. Um, There are differences between human skin and dog skin. Like I mentioned before, the pHs are different. Our glands are different. That's why you do not tend to see dogs sweat. Um, there's specific glands, like as people that we have throughout our skin that makes us prone to sweat, like horses are very similar. That's why you see horses sweat. (laughs) Um, dogs can occasionally get a little moisture on them. And sometimes their paws will like the paw pads will get a little moist. But if you even think about your dog running outside in the heat and coming back, like they're panting a lot, but they're not usually drenched in sweat like that would actually be pretty concerning um so we're very different so um you know again there's some epidermal product things you can do but you don't want to be using things like lotions or or really human products assuming it's the same Mm -hmm. you really want to be sticking to um you know things that are meant to be on dogs unless you have a specific recommendation for a medical condition from your veterinarian okay so everyone, I know those pictures on Instagram of a dog like in a bath with a bath bomb and things like that are really cute, but do not try at home. Okay. Um, next question. Brushing your dog. Mm-hmm. Are there certain brushes you shouldn't use because it hurts the skin? Anything like that? It really depends on the breed of dog. Like that, that's a really hard one to blanket because if you have something like a collie or a Sheltie, you know, there's obviously going to be some maintenance of brushing. I personally have like a little uh, pit lab boxer mix. She's, you know, a question mark mix, but that's mm-hmm. what she appears to be. So she's a very short coat. We never brush her. Okay. Um, and you want to be really careful. The The biggest thing I can see damage wise is if you use and short coated breeds like my dog, Um, It's rare, but if you use certain hard things like, say, really stiff brushes or metal brushes or even Furminators, which I, my previous dog had long hair and I use the Furminator and her all the time, but the really short-coated breeds, um, sometimes you can actually, it can be more irritating to their skin and it can actually cause some damage and there's rare reactions that they can have associated with that. So it's really individual on the dog. The particular type of hair coat can really matter in that decision. Okay. Um, next one. Can dogs get sunburned? We're coming up on the summer here. My dogs are two lazy hound dogs. They love to lay in the sun. So can they get sunburned or have negative reactions from being in the sun for too long? As far as they can't. Yeah, they can. I actually, when I did my residency, it was with the company I'm with now, Animal Dermatology Clinic, but our Orange County, California location. And we saw solar dermatitis all the time, just by the nature of the strong sun there and the year round sun there. Um, Usually where we see it be a big issue is on white dogs because they don't have pigment. So really typical presentation would be a white dog who liked a sun with her belly up Mm -hmm. because there's not much hair on the belly, if any. So then all of a sudden you have no pigment to protect yourself because pigment can help protect Um, and you have no hair to absorb any of that. 
So you get a lot of sun exposure and you're really susceptible. And um, in extreme cases, you can get actinic keratosis, which are just very abnormal changes to the skin. They can get um, to the point where they actually can progress to forms of skin cancer. So that really kind of depends. Now, in an average dog in an environment where they're not sunning, you know, constantly, that's probably not going to happen. Um, but I used to just advise people in really sunny areas, especially if their dogs were light colored or, or white, to be careful of let, letting them out during peak times. Um, I practice in Portland, Oregon now, and you know half the year is cloudy here. And since I have moved here, the only solar dermatitis cases I have seen have been dogs who have come from Texas or California, like other areas. Okay. So it really depends on where you're at. But yes, it is certainly possible. So depending on your geographic location and, and what type of dog you have and their habits, you want to be cautious. Most dogs won't go out for like an hour and get sunburned, but it's like if they're chronically out exposing areas of their body that don't have hair, that it can be a problem. So do you think building off that people should, because I've seen this, is put sunscreen on the, on their white dogs if it's like a dog-specific veterinary recommended sunscreen that's like built for their pH and everything? You can, but to be honest, there's not very many out there. I've heard of companies potentially like developing some. I don't know of any specific regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've even heard of people, um, even dermatologists recommending like water babies, uh, just like the copper tone because it's meant for child skin. So it's sensitive. Um, at this point, I don't know of too many, like there are definitely dog sunscreens out there for sure. Um, I have not been educated on the big differences between them. Um, but yeah, I suggest people either, um, looking into something very mild, like the water babies Mm -hmm. or there's sun suits you can buy. So in really extreme cases, I had in orange County where like, you know, ideally the dog should just be inside during the day and there's just no way that was going to happen for their quality of life. You can actually like Google like sunsuits for dogs and they look kind of ridiculous. They look like little full body onesies, but sometimes like, cause if you have, you don't sunburn where you have a shirt on, right? So yeah. like sometimes it made all the difference in those extreme cases. Okay. All right. Um, this is good to know. So last question of kind of the quick fire ones, does skin does dog skin change with age at all? Just like ours do. Yeah, it can. I mean, it it absolutely can. Um, We can see changes to their skin, um, especially if they develop anything like hormonal changes when they get older. So, you know, thyroid disease, like as you get older, you're more predisposed to low thyroid. Um, You know, as you get older, you're, you, you're more predisposed to develop things like um, cortisol overproduction and that can thin out your skin. Um, Immune system can be affected just like people as they get older. Um, So not every dog will have dramatic changes to their skin, but you can sometimes see some thinning of the skin or some wearing of the skin with age. Okay. That's good to know. Um, And you know what? Actually, that just made me think of something. Allergies that we were talking about earlier. Maybe I'll try to edit this back into (laughs) that part of the conversation but can those present at any age or do you see them usually at a specific time yeah so it's a great question you can see them at any age um so in general 
if I had to pick the more common age bracket we see, it really depends again on food versus environmental. And there's always mm-hmm. like that asterisk that's like, it depends, unfortunately. Yeah. But I'd say the most typical presentation I see is anywhere between like one to maybe three to four years of age, there's something happening. So they started having ear infections. They started being itchy during certain seasons. That's the most typical thing I I see. If I see a dog who presents to me and they had no skin issues at all until they were, say, like 12, Mm -hmm. um, it could be allergy. You can have things like food allergy or environmental allergy pop up later in life. Or maybe it was so mild, we didn't realize it was an abnormality Mm -hmm. and then it got bad. But I am definitely making sure there's nothing else going on before I will feel confident to call that pet allergic. So, you know, there's in in weird case, like rare cases, there's things like skin lymphoma that can cause them to get really itchy when they're older. Mm -hmm. Um, Your thyroid, again, can lead to things like severe infections that can cause them to change when they get older. So they can happen when they're older, but I'm also making sure I'm ruling out other things before I'll jump onto that diagnosis. Okay. Perfect. Last question, just to round out this whole topic, as far as keeping your dog's skin healthy, are there any top tips that you have just for maintaining a healthy skin on your dog? Yeah. So I think like, you know, just working with your veterinarian to make sure they're on things like balanced diets. Um, If you are seeing abnormalities, it's always better to get them dealt with sooner rather than later. Um, You know, we can save a lot of heartache for these pets if they do develop abnormalities to their skin by catching things early. But there's no doubt things like good hygiene and nutrition, um, just like us as people is really good as far as quality of skin. Um, You know, just making sure you're following the recommendations of what you're putting on your pet. You know, I have seen things um, like topical reactions, like I've seen even though our intentions are good, I've seen issues if we're using things that um, we don't have knowledge of on our pets. So just making sure the basic things like nutrition, good hygiene, following recommendations by people in the medical field, um, you're going to go a long way with really restoring and keeping your pet's skin healthy. Perfect. Love it. All right. Well, I think that rounds out our conversation, Ashley. Thank you so much for all of this information. I pelted you with so many questions. So <laughs> you were it's okay. Uh, you were amazing. Um, if people want to, I know your podcast is probably more aimed at people in the veterinary field, but I think it's still very useful for a lot of dog parents if they want to listen. So if they want to listen to your podcast or follow you, where can they find all that? Yeah, so I do have a podcast. Um, it's called the Derm Vet Podcast. My social media on Instagram and Facebook is the Derm Vet. I have it all very, very uh, fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is geared more towards educating veterinarians, but there I, ha- I do have some pet owners who follow and just if you know if they're really scientifically inclined or you know some people just really love because um, they put a lot of skin pictures up, love seeing before and afters. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely some still some really good information there and. Um, you know, I, I educate the veterinarians because I really want to help more pets. I know there's only so many people who can make it to the door of a dermatologist. Um, so just being able to help, um, maybe educate veterinarians and pet owners more, um, cause there is, there's a 
ton of misinformation out there, unfortunately. Um, and I just really want to be able to help more pets by getting the really good, valid, proven information in, into people's hands. So hopefully to some degree, that's what I'm doing and helping with. Awesome. Well, I think that is so great. As I said, we how we started the conversation, the specialties that we're seeing more and more of now, I think is really going to help so many pets. And also, as you mentioned, there's been so many advancements in their care. So I'm really excited for that. Um, all right. Well, everyone can find us at With a Dog Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Our website is withadogpodcast.com. And our Facebook group is called I'm With a Dog. And we'll see you next week. All content on With a Dog Podcast is for informational purposes only and should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist.